Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and parrots everywhere wondering where the beer is that goes with that cracker. It's Thursday at three o'clock and you know what that means. Live from Michigan State University campus and live from Chowchilla, California, it's Tea with BVP. I'm your host, Bill Van Patten, AKA BVP, your international superstar and diva of SLA. And speaking of crackers, with us in the studio are two people who really know how to spread it thick onto a Ritz. Big round of applause for my co-hosts, Angelica Kramer and Walter Hopkins. Say hi, kids. Say hi to everybody out there. Come on. Yay. And we're not live at 3. We're live at 3.15. Yay. Thanks I for know. bearing with us, everybody. What? I know. What's going on there? It's like, gee, it's like something... Is something like they're in Aurora Borealis happening they don't know about or, yeah, you, know, you know, there something. was a little gremlin in our technology today. <clears throat> and well, this reminds me of something. Out. I thought maybe I had my dates wrong. Do you know what Friday is September 20, uh, 22nd is? No. Nobody knows. Well, do you know? Us. What is no it? Well, of course I'm going to tell you. Think I'm going to ask you this stupid question without having an answer? <laughs> of course I'm going to tell you. <laughs> it is the fall equinox. At 1.02 p.m. So I thought, and you know what happens sometimes when there's an equinox, there's satellite disruption. Oh. And, and things can go out for minutes at a time or even, you know, sometimes up to an hour because of, of the way this, the solar rays hit the earth. And so I thought, well, maybe I got my dates wrong. Maybe today's the equinox and something's screwing up with the system. But uh, I don't think so. I think there was just some little weird thing in our technology. Remnants. So thanks, everybody, for waiting for us. My gosh, does that mean does that mean we go to um, four fifteen today, or what do we do, Dan? You have to give me somebody has to let me know what we're doing here on that. Um, we'll play that by ear, know, I'd say. Play that by ear. All right, all right. Well, speaking of playing by ear, um, I got a couple of announcements to make. Um, on October fifth, um, we are going to start what we call the Actful Countdown, and um, the reason we're starting on October fifth is we're counting out six weeks to Actful. Because what's going to happen at Actful? Do you guys remember? You're going to sign books. You're gonna There's a sign book signing. Books. <laughs> exactly. So we're doing a book signing at Actful on that Saturday uh, for while we're on the topic. And um, so the book is six chapters with an epilogue. So I thought, well, why not just, you know, um, starting October 5th, six weeks out from Actful, touch on the topic a week, that comes out of the chapters, starting with chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and so on. So that's what we're going to do. And we'll still be giving live giveaways of books uh, for people. So um, that will be happening. And speaking of live giveaways, we're still today going to give away a book to people who call in. So if you call in today, no matter what you call in for, your name goes in the hat or the cup or the box. What do we have today, kids? Do we have, what, is it a box or what do we put names in? I don't know. I think it's a, a mug today. Yeah, a mug. Oh. Okay, well, yeah, whatever. So names are going into something, you know, where your name will go into something and we'll draw it at the end of the show um, and give away a copy of my book again. So, all right. So um, our topic today is processing, particularly input processing. We're going to touch on that topic because of what we talked about noticing a couple of weeks ago. And I thought we need to do some clarifying on some things. So we'll talk about that. Uh, remember that during the show, there is the SLA challenge question. Right. And so what happens is you will call in and you will tell Dustin, who's manning the phones or personing the phones, um, that you want to answer the SLA challenge question and, and, and get a chance to win a prize. 
Um, so in a few minutes, I'll give you that question. And then you just, again, get on your cell phone and give us a call. Um, same for the Diva Challenge question. That will come a little bit later in the show. Um, again, you call Dustin and say, I want to answer the David Challenge question and win a prize. And then Dustin will put you through. Um, and we will um, give a prize if you win. And again, if you, if you call for either one of those, your name automatically goes in the hat too for the book prize at the end of the show. The number to reach us at is 517-884-4321. Again, that's 517-884-4321. And remember, Dustin does like to hear your voice. He's not a stalker, by the way. He doesn't keep your phone number. He's not going to track you down. So don't be afraid to call in. Dustin's a really good guy. I call him the muscle man of the show because he's just the muscle man of the show. But he's really a good guy. So don't be afraid of him. Call in and talk to him. He's a good guy. Um, Angelica will, of course, be looking at Mixler and see what issues come up. Walter's got email he's looking at. But remember, who wants to get the phone number again? Walter, Angelica, give the phone number again. One of you. Go ahead. We can go. do it together. Ready? 517-884-4321. That's right. Mm-hmm. Call in. Oh, my God. You t- you two are so multi-talented. We you are, just are so, we? You're just so good. Mm-hmm. We, I, I still think we got to get a singing group together. We got to do it. We got to do a live. Yeah. We've got to do that. The three of us got to get that little, do that little number. Yeah. I got that perfect mm-hmm. number for us, too. I know. I, think it's I know. Great. I've been practicing, too. Can you start singing it for us now? Nope. No. no. It's got to be a surprise. It's got to be a surprise. Okay, okay. But, oh, and I have news, too. Let me just give this news before we get into our topic is um, the I'm putting a show together finally. It's actually official. Hmm. So I'm putting a show together. Um, it's targeted for next July, but I may, be, I may be doing bits and parts of it here and there because I want to test things out. So um, if anybody is going to AATSP next summer, July in Salamanca, yours truly will be on stage at some point. Wow. Um, working out the details, but I probably should. It's a very premature announcement. I mean, things could change, of course, but the plan is right now that I'm going to do a little something special at ATSP. Plus, I'm the president, so I want to do something different, right? All right, here we go. Okay, and Walter is not going to be an input because he decided he does not want to wear Golden May shorts, right, Walter? That's right. <laughs> Even though I've decided you don't have to wear Golden May shorts if you want to be an input. So I think I am now canceling my plans to go to Salamanca, in fact. Um <laughs> I would prefer to watch it uh, from via satellite as opposed to be tr- as opposed to you trying to coerce me to join. Um, so maybe no, I no, no. I already got more. other people. I already got okay, other people. Good, so good. <laughs> I got I, 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 I got other people. I've got them all lined up. I've got them all lined up. So people who are not as shy and withdrawn as you, Walter. Right. People, people, people who are a little more extroverted than you. I think I've <laughs> never been accused of being shy, but. So why don't you want to be on stage and be an input? Well, we'll just we'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> there are worse things in life, right? Right, Angelica. There's worse things in life than. Uh, Absolutely. Than than being an input. Mm, I agree. All right. Okay, so. Should I get into our topic? Yes. <clears throat> Since we're starting a little bit late, I'm going to go and get into our topic because I'll give people something to chew on. I know that people have other questions because people always have their own questions, which is fine. We like that. We like people to ask us whatever they want to ask us. Okay, so our topic today is processing, uh, in particular, input processing, because there is such a thing as output processing. And if you want me to talk about output processing and the difference with input processing, just tweet us. Or mixlerize us, let us know that's a topic you're interested in, and we'll be happy to add it to our show in the next week or two. Um, Now, input processing, what does it involve? Um, Input processing is about or involves how learners make sense 
of a speech stream or a sign stream, if you're dealing with sign language, but we're going to deal with spoken speech here. Um, so it's how learners uh, make sense of a, a speech stream or what we call an input string um, as, that, as that information starts coming in and they're trying to comprehend it. So in particular, what we're concerned with is how they attach meaning to form. Okay, because you got to remember the speech stream is just a bunch of sounds and those sounds are just forms. They're just, you know, sounds. Okay, so somehow there's going to be a meaning attached to those sounds, those forms. And so input process is concerned with what strategies uh, learners have to derive meaning when they are listening to a sentence, for example. It's a pretty big field and there's a lot of things to talk about in input processing. So we're going to narrow it today and just talk about one thing. Um, and we may wind up talking about this next week. Uh, I'm going to continue, continue to talk next week, but a different slant on it. So as everybody in think knows, input, uh, input processing is related to acquisition, right? It's not just something that happens independently of acquisition. Input processing has to happen for acquisition to happen. Um, input processing is not related to what learners do after they have already acquired stuff. That it confuses a lot of people. Um, I may come back to that later, but there's a, there's a number of people out there who think that models of input processing should be about what learners do at any given point in time. But no, once, you, I mean, input processing should be about those initial steps, the initial steps that, and strategies that learners have to get stuff into their system from the outset, not using that stuff for processing input um, once they have it. Okay, so input processing about how learners begin to make four-meaning connections and what constraints there are on how learners can make four-meaning connections when exposed to novel or new elements in the input. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to actually focus a little bit on my model because my model's been out there since how long? I don't even know how long has my model been out there floating around? About a long, long time. time. Yeah, about 20-something years, 20 uh, 22 years, 20, I don't know how long it's been out there. I remember reading it when I was a young whippersnapper <laughs> back in 08. So. Before you were an input? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, did you really read about this in grad school or school, Walter? I did, in Germany. Indeed. Oh, there you go. See, see, everybody, I am an international superstar. Very I told true. you, you didn't believe me. No, all right. no, we all know that. All yeah. our listeners do. Well, yes, yes. I'm not. I'm not just... I'm not just tooting my own horn. Well, I am tooting my own horn. That's because I have a horn to toot. <laughs> anyway, so getting back to input <laughs> processing and the model that I developed, the basic idea behind the model is really relatively simple, but, but kind of profound. The idea is that learners will use any strategy that works to get at basic meaning. And this led me to posit a learner preference for lexical items. Now, what this means is the following, that unlike first language learners, second language learners come to the task of second language acquisition knowing already that words exist, right? So Angela's going to learn Japanese and Walter's going to learn, I don't know what, um, Swahili. And they already know that there are word, there must be words in Swahili and there must be words in Japanese. Why? Because there are words in what, Angelica? In my first language. Yeah, and in your second language, English. And Walter knows there's words because why, Walter? There are words in? Lots of languages. Every English and Spanish and so on, right? Because <laughs> he's already developed the concept of words in his head. Now, babies going through first language acquisition don't have the knowledge that words exist. Um, there are such things as lexical and functional categories in language, but what babies have to do is figure out what words are and where they are. Second language learners don't have to figure out what words are. 
Uh, so one of the things that drives early and intermediate stage uh, input processing is the search for words, and in particular, content words, not little bitty functional words or um, or, or, or particles or things like that, but actual content words. So in the model of input processing I've worked with over the years, I can make the claim that learners are first pushed to look for content words in the input as a means to bootstrap themselves into sentence comprehension. Now, this makes a lot of intuitive sense, but it actually um, has been supported by the research. And learners themselves will tell you, if you get them to introspect, that when they are listening to language early on, if you get them, if you ask them in your Spanish 101 club, they tell, even in to the immediate stage, they go, I listen for the words, the key words to help me get the meaning. And they will tell you that. Now, in terms of the actual psycholinguistic strategies involved for, for finding words, it's not clear that learners, uh, it's not clear that we know what those exact strategies are. It could be, for example, that learners use prosodic cues, for example, rhythm and pitch. So content words, for example, tend to have what kind of stress? Weak or strong stress, Walter? Strong. Again? Content words. So they Sorry, tend to have. I was, I was reading our email, so. Strong. I know. Stress. I always Strong. catch Walter. Walter's like this kid in the back Stop of the class. Stop asking I tell me you. questions. You You're don't know what my life is like. I'm surprised he's not chewing gum <laughs> in the studio and putting his feet up on the chair. Oh, you should see him. Right. No, seriously. So Walter. So Angel already answered the question. What What kind of stress do content words carry? Strong stress or weak stress? Strong stress. I'm yeah, content words out right tend now. to carry somewhere on them, even they're multisyllabic, somewhere some tend to carry strong stress, right? Um, whereas functional words tend to carry weak stress. You have to do something really weird to put strong stress on, on functional words. So if I say the dog is in the garden, right? That sentence right there, you heard dog in garden carrying the strong stresses of that sentence. Whereas the dog, you don't say the dog is in the garden, you know. We don't do that, right? The strong stresses on the content words. So it could be that learners use things like stress and rhythm, depending on the language of learning, because all languages use prosody and rhythm and pitch in some way or another to isolate um, key elements of a sentence. It could be that learners use pauses. We've talked about pausing before on the show, um, the sense that when they hear breaks in sentences or our breath and, and, the, and the, the human mind is really acutely tuned to search for things like pauses, even if they're like 50 milliseconds long, um, the language system is, is, starts to pick up on these things very quickly. So learners might use pauses to find um, not just word boundaries, but, but larger boundaries like unit boundaries of chunks and routines of language and so on. Now, one thing I'm sure of um, is that written input helps learners find word boundaries. It helps them find word boundaries sooner than they would if they didn't have access to written input. There was a lot of work done in the, in the 70s and 80s, early 80s, comparing classroom and non-classroom learners. And the idea was that uh, the, what emerged in the research was it looked like, and I'm gonna say looked, it looked like classroom learners learn faster than non-classroom learners. And, my, and that's when you're looking at grammatical devices and linguistic things. And my guess is that what happens in classrooms and this is actually supported by some of the research too that came on a little bit later, is that written input and literacy help learners isolate word boundaries quicker than non-classroom learners. Because non-classroom learners don't have, if they're not developing literacy, don't have access to printed text that shows them where words are, okay? So it could be that written input helps learners find those word boundaries sooner than if they didn't have access to that. So, and, 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 if, and one of the things we could test, and I think this is probably true, is that classroom learners 
have fewer chunks in their head because they're using written input as a means also to bootstrap themselves in the system, whereas non-classical learners will have more chunks. So uh, if I'm a non-classical learner, I hear repeated chunk over time, um, like me llamo, me llamo, me llamo, me llamo, I won't know that that's two words. I'll take that as a chunk, which means I call myself, by the way, if you know what that means. Um, whereas a classroom learner will see in the textbook, on the board, in the print, me and yama, and knows those are two separate words. That doesn't mean the classroom learner also doesn't create chunks. It just means the classroom learner has access to other information that helps them find the word boundaries sooner. And words are key to getting grammatical form, which is what we're going to talk about probably next week. So input processing begins with a hunt for the best units of meaning by second language learners. And that those, those best units of meaning are words or in word-like units. Now, as I just said, it's not clear that learners process grammatical stuff during input processing. That means learners aren't looking for things like past tense markers and case markers. They don't, they're not trying to process those things. They're looking for words. And I'll talk a little bit more about this next week uh, when we get into another topic, which I'm not going to talk about because it's part of the SLA quest challenge question. But, um, but uh, learners do not look for grammatical stuff in the input. The, the grammatical stuff that's, that is input, if it is an input, and it's not clear that it is, if it is an input, happens inside the mind after processing. Um, and so I'm going to just lay the groundwork and talk about that next week because I don't want to talk too much now. So what I want to do is go ahead and give the, um, the SLA challenge question because it's, it's a little bit related to this um, and going to serve as part of what we talk about next week. So are we ready for the SLA challenge question? Yes, we are. Okay, here we go. The SLA challenge question is short. It is this. What is the term for the real-time computation of sentence structure during comprehension? There's a technical term for this. Um, what is the term for the real-time computation of sentence structure during comprehension? Did everybody get that question? Does that make sense to Angelica, the way I asked that question? Yeah. Sometimes I wonder. Okay. Um, good. All right. So if you want to answer the SLA challenge question, call in. Dustin's waiting for you. If you want to talk about input processing some more, ask me some clarifying questions, I'm happy to do that. If you want to talk about something else, please call in. What's the number again, Walter? It is 517-884-4321. Echo. There we go. As Luca would say, echo. Where are my notes? Hang on. I got a, I got a, a weird configuration in my home office here with this. I got to find my, my Twitter press notes while we wait for people to call. All these shy people, these shy people who are not like Walter, not the extroverts like Walter. Although I thought about doing a casting call on the show for inputs for my backup group, the inputs, huh, uh -huh. Um, and see who, who wants to sign up. But you like know, that. that's a little bit dangerous, you know? So and then I'd have to do a, a, a Zoom casting where people have to perform in front of me and I, you know, judge them all that kind of stuff. But anyway. I do have two people already lined up to be input, so I'm happy about that. Is Leanne but I'd one like of a them? third person. I'd like a third person. Would you say, Walter? Is Leanne going to do it? I don't No, actually, no. Leanne's not one of the two people. But if she did, then I'd have three people. But I won't tell you about the other two. I'm really excited about one of them because he's, he's really good, actually. He's going to be a really good input. Okay, so um, the, the tweeted question this week was, how does your understanding of input processing affect your teaching? And Josh or Joshua says, makes me more conscious of checking comprehension before moving forward. Um, Luyan says, helps me create and select activities. 
Um, Longina says, too much input leads to clipping or distortion. I think what he means is you stop listening, you, you cut off things or whatever. Um, and Langley says, it makes me go slow. And he spelled out slow with like six O's. No, eight O's, I just counted them. Makes me go slow so that students have time to process. Um, yes, that's always important thinking about students having to process. Um, Carrie says, makes me the profe loca, using lots of crazy gestures so I can stay in the target language. Okay, these, what's interesting about these, these are all things about people talking about how it helps comprehension. Um, but again, if you're doing this, what you're trying to do is, is get learners to isolate words. Now, why are words important, Walter, for the building of a linguistic system? How would you answer that question if I gave you an MA exam right now? <laughs> well, they're important because uh, you have to be able to say something. There's my MA answer. <laughs> well, they carry All right. meaning. They, they, you want to communicate. They do carry meaning, correct. There's the answer. Well, they do carry I'm meaning, really but in terms of the grammatical the system. I don't think about these things the way you do, so just stop putting I, me on the spot. All right, oh, you know, I love you more than my luggage. Poor Walter. All right. By the way, I do need new luggage, Walter. I just had to, you know, so when I get my new luggage, if I really love it, I'm going to have to love you even more now. Um, no, the idea is that, and we'll talk about this next week, is the words carry grammatical information. Grammar is not separate from words. And you can't have a sentence without words. Words go into places in a sentence. So words are the building blocks, not just of meaning, but actually of sentence structure in a certain way. Um, so we'll talk about what that means next week when we get into this other issue. Okay, uh, we have a caller on the line. Can everybody hear my, my mic seems to be, um, I'm, I'm fiddling with my mic on my desk right now, so I'm really sorry if, if, if it's not always perfect what you're hearing, but everybody can hear me okay, right? Not Absolutely, just right? fine. yes. Great. Okay, so we have a call on the line. Anna, are you on the line? I am. Hey, Anna, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Silver Spring, Maryland, right outside Washington, D.C. Wow. How, so how are things right outside Washington, D.C. right now? Um, well, we're all having to take a lot of deep breaths, just like everyone else in the country. But uh, otherwise, things are fine. <laughs> Whatever do you mean, Anna? I, I really don't know, but somehow I feel like you might understand. <laughs> Oh, we understand. I, I was talking to somebody yesterday who shall remain nameless because I don't want to implicate him in any conversations, but we were talking about our our secretary of education and something mm. she recently said. So I'm not gonna go there. Anyway, so Anna, what do you call it? Oh. Together. We're gonna take a deep breath together and then we'll be <laughs> there able to you go. <laughs> you know, I've never done yoga in my life, but this kind of stuff makes me want to do yoga. So all right. You should. Okay. It's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just work out. I work out six days a week and get all my frustrations out in the gym and my and my and also in my cardio workouts too. So well good. As all right, Anna. Breathing, so, then I think it'll be Yeah, fun. yeah, yeah. I do I do breathe a lot. So you're calling about the SLA challenge question, I see. I am. I don't know if I have the right answer, but I just said I would go ahead and try. Well, you know, Walter, Walter, because he just took his MA test with me right now five seconds ago. Um, he knows the answer to this question. So we'll let him see if, if, if you're <laughs> correct. So I'm going to repeat the question. Walter's going to tell you whether you're right or wrong. So what is the term, the technical term, for the real-time computation of sentence structure during comprehension? Anna, your answer is? Mapping. Mapping? Walter? I'm thinking that's not quite Sounds right. Sounds like it's I'm not sorry. right. I, I could have looked it up, but I decided, you know what? I'm just going to give it a try. 
Well, you know, the thing is, you mapping is really important. Mapping form on the meaning and meaning on the form. That's absolutely uh-huh. true. Um, but the computation of sentence structure itself, you know, uh, ah. projecting noun phrases, projecting verb phrases, all that kind of stuff is actually part of something else. So um, no prize for you, but your name does go into the hat for a book drawing at the end of the hour. So you're you're in the game for something. That sounds great. I've already read the book. So I'll, oh, <laughs> well, then I'll be able to sell this one for a lot of money. <laughs> there you go. I like that. I don't know if anybody right. in Washington, D.C. will buy it. but <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have a lot of people who are interested in second language acquisition in my life. So you never know. Well, good. So, so, thank you so much. Let me, well, let me ask you this, Anna, before you go. Um, are you going to put a plug in my book? Did you, you said you've already read it. You liked it, right? Right? I, I loved it. I loved it. I'm <laughs> actually so, yeah. Okay. So I feel like I'm being put on the spot here. But I have to say that I'm so grateful for that book because um, my colleague, Rochelle Adams, and I do a lot of teacher training. And mm-hmm. to be able to have um, word, the words that we've been hearing you say at different conferences, we saw you um, at, at Southwest Colt, we saw you at NTBRS this summer, and written everything down that we heard, um, but to be able to say, okay, on page 32, he does say <laughs> that what's on page 32 of the textbook is not in your head. <laughs> and you that, and right? I hope yes, uh, something that, like that. Really funny. No, you do. Yeah. It's really funny in yeah. your book. Yeah. But um, yeah. no, it's like to be in the questions to be able to use that like in in a classroom environment for for aspiring teachers and for teachers who are already in the profession to have all of those um, working questions at the end of each chapter is incredibly helpful. So it's clear, it's easy to read, and it's profoundly helpful to the profession. So thank you. Anna, I love you. I'm, I, I may just send you an extra book anyway. We'll see. So <laughs> I just, I well, just I love I, what you said. I wish so. I was going to get to see a comprehensible Midwest, but I will be there along with Grant and Alina and a whole bunch of other people. So we will be thinking about you and sending you good vibes from. Ripa. Well, thank you, Anna. All right. Okay. Goodbye. I got somebody else coming on the line. So Bye. thanks a lot. Bye, Bye Anna. Anna. Thanks so much for Bye. calling. It was so nice of her to say that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really absolutely. mean to put her on the spot. That was worse than giving Walter an MA question, right? That, you know. <laughs> well, but she had an answer, so. Yeah, she had an answer. Yeah, she did. So. I never have an and answer. And that was not pre-planned. People out there in the audience, I did not get Anna to call in so she could talk about my book. But but um, I'm, gl- I'm glad that she, I really did write this book for teachers. I worked really hard at making this conversational and interactive and a fun book for teachers to read and not just some dry thing. Um, and so I'm glad that she saw that in there and, and, um, good, 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 good. Okay. Um, oh, we already have another call on the line. We have Andrew. Andrew, are you on the line? I am. Yes. Good afternoon. Good evening. Hey, Andrew. Oh, it's evening for you. Cause I see that you're calling from Spain. I am calling from Valencia. Yeah. Nice. From Valencia. One of my favorite places. Um, nice place. Yeah, I lived in Spain for a year and a half, and when I was a lot younger, and I remember going to Las Fallas in Valencia, which oh, were really okay. a lot You've of been to fun. Las yeah, it's good. Yeah. Oh yeah, I almost I almost got burned to death when those things fell down. <laughs> I mean, Lots of things get burned to death that night. <laughs> oh, I, tell you, you, I tell you, I tell you, you up just, in Barcelona, were you? Or? No, I was I was living in Madrid at the time, but we I was travel oh, I traveled okay. I was young, so like every weekend I would take off on Friday afternoon and go somewhere and then come back on Sunday. So Valencia was one of the places I went to. So I've just yeah, come back yeah. from Madrid myself, so yeah, it's it's good, good to travel. Okay, Andrew. So I understand you're calling about the SLA challenge question. Is that correct? Yeah, it's correct. I'm going to try. Well, let me repeat the question for the audience, and then I'll have you answer. Okay, okay here it goes. 
what is the term for the real-time computation of sentence structure during comprehension? Andrew, your answer is? Passing. Yay! Ding, 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 ding. There you go. Yay, you're correct. Parsing is the term that we use. Yeah, so parsing refers to, for example, when you hear the word the in English, you immediately project what's called a DP, a determinant phrase. Then you hear the dog, and inside that you project a noun phrase. And at the same time, because of the way English works, you're also probably giving 95% chance that the dog is going to be the subject or part of the subject of the sentence. So you do this real-time computation, building sentence structure as you go. Um, so And parsing figures prominently into um, issues of input processing, which we're going to talk about next week. So good for you, Andrew. So you're going to win a prize. We will get that in the mail to you, um, if not tomorrow, early next week. And your name goes in the hat for a copy of While We're on the Topic. So That's congratulations. Thank Thanks for calling in, Andrew. Okay. Thank Bye-bye, you. Andrew. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bye, Andrew. Andrew. Cheers. Bye. Um, that's great having a – I detected a British accent, Walter. I'm surprised you didn't go into your Mary Poppins right? routine I know. with him. I was waiting for that, too. Here it goes. Wait for it. Wait for it. He's coming. Nope. It's coming. I can it's see it. Coming. I can see it in his face. I can see it in his eyes. You're dying. You're dying. <laughs> I'm just going to give you an umbrella, and you can do it. The end. Or is that a bumper – what is that called? The bumper shoot? What do you call an umbrella or bumper shoot? I have no idea. I don't in know Great what Britain? you're talking about. They don't call it an umbrella? I guess I didn't know that. Yeah, they might. That either. All right. So now that we have a successful winner of the SLA challenge question, I'm going to give the Diva challenge question, and hopefully, someone will call in and want to talk about some input at some point too. Okay. So here's the Diva challenge question. You ready? Yes. Guess who this question's about? Your favorite one, Bette Midler. And yes, it's about Bette Midler. And I swear, (laughs) audience, this is going to be my last Bette Midler question for a while. I had to get out of my system. And and I think we may have talked about this on the air already. So this is is almost like a freebie. So here goes. My last Bette Midler question for the season. Well, not for the season, for the semester. What movie did Bette Midler turn down in order to act in and produce the Academy-nominated movie For the Boys? So she starred and produced For the Boys. But she turned on another movie, which went on to be highly, highly successful. And she kind of regretted afterwards. So let me repeat the question. What movie did Bette turn down in order to act in and produce the Academy-nominated movie for the boys? Okay, so if you got the answer to that, call in. That's an easy one to Google, too. So I know people can Google that in the next two minutes and come up with an answer. Okay, so um, anything in email or Mixler we want to talk about, Angelica or Walter? What do you got going for me there? I got nothing. Nothing? I've got rhythm. I've got, oh wait, no, I've got emails. Okay, bring them on, dude. I've seen you dance, Walter. I don't think you have rhythm. (laughs) Harsh, harsh. I don't have any emails after all. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Walter. Well, I'm just kidding you, Walter. But I have seen you dance. You have to admit, I have seen you dance. I hope you dance. I hope you dance. And every time I I see Walter dance, I keep thinking of that Donna Summer song, Last Dance, because I'm hoping it's (laughs) Last Dance. Mm -hmm. Last Dance. Okay, Walter, I'm just kidding you, Walter. Come on, give me an email question, Walter. (laughs) All right, are we ready? Yes, give me an easy one. He's going to give me a really hard one now, Angelica, because he's mad at me. Mm -hmm, He should. All right. Okay. I have an email with three questions. So if we, you know, <laughs> if we get, I'll say one of them. And then if we get some more time, I'll ask another one and then the other one. Uh, this is from Dick. 
He uh, works at Cornell University. And one of his questions is, how can input in a focused semantic area, listening to people give street directions, for example, prepare a learner for classroom tasks? How I think I understand the question. So the question is, how does focused listening or focused input, I think he means by hearing lots of directions, yeah, so help said, prepare them to do directions in class? Is that what I'm understanding? Right. So how, how would they be able to complete a task in class by getting input, like, for example, out in, I'm guessing that what he means is out in a real situation, hearing people give street directions how is that going to prepare them for something that they will then have to do in class, a task? It, well, it depends. It, it may not. It depends on the level of the learner because giving directions is really hard for one thing because um, it, it requires stringing sentences together, which is, it, which is um, probably an intermediate high task. Uh, intermediates can understand directions just fine, but intermediate mids can give directions, but it just, it's, 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 it's a little tough on them still. So it depends on the level of the learner. And um, like everything else, you have to hear lots and lots of directions and how they're given, be able to do directions yourself. So it, the problem with just hearing focused directions, let's say you're working online outside of class and you're gonna, you know, you have to give directions in class the next day. We don't know why you wanna give directions in class the next day because you're not going anywhere in class. That's not, to me, not part of the classroom communicative context, but that's okay. We all do it because we just do it. But um, so, um, so you have to you have to hear hundreds and hundreds of times words like left, right, go straight, um, turn. Uh, all these words you can't just hear them a couple of times. You just can't hear like five sets of directions and think, oh, that's going to prep them for class. Um, so, so. Again, like anything, to be able to do something and do it with some relative ease, uh, and that's a, I know I'm qualifying by saying relative ease, you just have to have lots and lots and lots and lots of examples in the input. And not just, again, of directions, but just of those words that are going to be needed in directions, right? So, um, so I'm, not sure, I'm not sure if I'm giving Dick the kind of answer he wants, but um, it, it's... It's, it's going to be really hard to prepare students to do directions in class just by giving them some focused listening input kinds of things outside of class. It's going to take a long time for, for that direction stuff to actually happen. So, Dick, if you desire some clarification, feel free to send us an email and we can address it maybe this week, maybe next week, or maybe sometime, some other time in the future. That was a good question. That's a hard question because I had to think about that for a minute. Because yeah, we all do outside of class activities, but you know, I always we're always trying to prep students to come to class. I always tell people the following: uh, we've got a caller coming in, but I'll just say this real quick before we, I go to the caller. That is that don't expect your 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 online pre-class activities to make students perfectly comfortable to do a task or do something in class. I always use the term familiar. What your pre-class stuff does is make learners familiar with stuff, but doesn't make them know it. Um, and so the, and that's, there's a big difference between be, being familiar that, okay, yeah, 
I kind of have some of this. Um, but, and then being truly prepared to do something in class. It's just, that's, that's a pipe dream to have people truly prepared. So I prefer to use the term, students come to class familiar with things, but not knowing how to do it yet. Okay, with that said, we're gonna take a caller on the phone. We have Andrea on the line. Andrea, are you there? Yeah, this is Andrea. Hey, Andrea, oh, it's Andrea with a accent on the, the stresses on the and Andrea part, the right? And. Yes. There yes. you go. Except when Where I'm in Spain, then it's Andrea. Uh, it's Andrea. Oh, you're from the Dallas, Texas area. Good for you. I got a lot of friends in the Dallas, Texas area. Actually, Arlington and areas like that and, and just north of Dallas. A couple people in, actually in Dallas itself. So. so how are you doing out there today? Good? Doing great. I'm in between parent-teacher conferences right now, so... Oh, okay. So we're, we're your break from parenting and teaching conferencing. Okay, great. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, you're, you're, you're calling uh, about the Diva Challenge question, correct? I am. All right. Yes. So are you, let me ask you this before you answer. And answer truthfully. You don't get any gold stars. You don't get anything taken away. Are you a Bette Midler fan? Of course. Okay. And I have a follow, <laughs> actually, I have a follow-up. So I answered a Diva question last season. The one uh -huh. of what was Bette Midler going to be starring in soon, Hello, Dolly. Uh -huh. And I actually have tickets to go see it on Saturday night. I'm so excited. So I'm happy oh, to Oh, my God. Go Hopefully, I've got my fingers crossed, praying that she's not sick with a case of laryngitis, but I'm hoping to see Bette Midler Saturday night in Hello, Dolly. Nah, she's a trooper. She should be wow. okay. She's a trooper. All right. Well, yeah. good for Bill you. You're going to love it. very, very jealous. You're going to love it. I've seen <laughs> Bette Midler live. I can't wait. I've seen Bette Midler live so many times. To take Bill along with you? I wish I could. <laughs> He'll fly on down to Dallas. <laughs> and then I'll fly you over to New York. That would be awesome. <laughs> okay, so let me go ahead and repeat the question for everybody out there in the, in the listening audience. And then, Andrea, you can answer. So here it, is. here it goes again. What movie did Bette Midler turn down in order to act in and produce the Academy-nominated movie For the Boys? So what did she turn down, Andrea? Sister Act. Ding, 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 ding. There yeah, you go. Good for you. Okay, and because and you're a big fan, I'm... to your podcast. There you go, because we did talk... <laughs> Here's a bonus question. I'm going to enter your name twice if you get this bonus question. If not, I'll throw it out there, but... Here's another one about a movie turned down. What movie did Bette turn down that Kathy Bates won an Academy Award for? Who would know these well, things? Well, that one, I have no idea. Yeah, come on. Okay, Bill. well, we'll leave that one hanging out Kathy there. Bates. So, Bette turned down another movie role, and then Kathy Bates took the movie role and um, got an Academy Award for that movie. There you go. All right. Hmm. Well, then. Well, I'll leave uh, that one for well, someone else. There you go. You win a prize that'll come out to you in the next couple of days that so we'll be putting in the mail to you, and then your name goes in the drawing for a free book today. Oh, yay. Are you Good. Excited? There you go. I am, well, I actually, I have it already ordered coming, but I'll use another copy to give to someone else if it happens. So. Excellent. He just froze. Thank you. I but don't know. Oh, there the he is. Keep the one that is signed by BVP. Oh, yeah. If it's signed by BS, I'll definitely keep that copy. Absolutely. Yeah. So keep. Yeah, because the one you'll get from me will be signed. So. Yeah. Oh, be signed. even better. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for calling, Andrea, and we'll talk to you. Well, okay. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. All right. All bye. Right. Thank you. Bye, Andrea. Bye-bye. Um, <laughs> bye, guys. Bye-bye. I think, I think there was a sound glitch or something. Something froze up. My yep. screen froze up there yep, for a second. Yep, you were frozen so. for a sec. But you're yeah, back. There we go. That's all that matters. Uh, just call me, call me Elsa. Just call me Elsa. 
Because I'm frozen. frozen. <laughs> Why are you frozen? Oh, oh because I'm you were frozen. Oh, I get it. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were cold. I'm like, come the on. Screen you're, not, you're not My cold. screen froze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Walter, you know the answer to that question about the uh, Kathy Bates movie? I you do don't, not. do you? No. No. Okay. And there. We'll leave that out there for people. Let's talk some more about input or something else. You got any uh, Mixler email questions for me? Are you ready for another one from Dick? Sure. All right. He says, we've devised an online program that processes an audio file such that the learner can increase pause length between utterances to allow for more processing time by the learner. Does this sound like a useful function? So we want your opinion. Um, so he's developed some kind of software or program that allows the learner to control where pauses happen so they can like it can increase the uh, pause length break, between break utterances. up sentences. Ah, okay. Increase the pause length between utterances. Okay. Um, hmm. Um, it, it can't hurt. I mean, the issue is, I mean, these are all researchable questions. I mean, you could do some research on this and see um, learners who don't have it, learners who do have it. Um, you know, it depends on what you want to measure in the sense of, you know, what's the outcome that looking for um but it can't hurt i mean learn it's always good that um learners in fact learners can kind of do this on their own i've i've watched some learners sometimes in labs when they're listening they will if they're hearing a, a stretch of some sentences put together after they hear it the first time sometimes they'll go back and listen again and i watch them try to stop it <laughs> after they hear something so they can think they just heard before they go on. So it's probably intuitively what students would do anyway. So there you go. So I, I, I don't think it can hurt. Right? Right? Right. Sure. Right. 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 Okay. There we go. Okay. Uh, we have another caller on the line. Oh, it's a repeat caller. There we go. Um, Dudu, are you on the line? Yeah, I'm a... Dudo, are you on the line? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? Great. Great. I know you're calling all the way from Algeria, and sometimes we have phone problems, so I know you're calling to the follow-up diva question, correct? Yes, I am. Okay, so let me repeat the question for everybody, and then you can give me your answer. The question is okay. the following. Uh, what movie did Bet turn down that got Kathy Bates an Academy Award? Do you know the name of the movie, Dudu? Yes, it's uh, Misery. Misery, I mean. Misery, correct. Absolutely, Excellent. yes. Excellent. And the reason I picked that, the reason I picked that movie, uh, also that question was because, little known trivia, who starred off Kathy Bates in um, Misery? Anybody know? It was James Caan. And who starred opposite Bette Midler in For the Boys? James Caan. So one way or another, she would have worked with James Caan and she may have worked with him twice, you never know. So I, I find that kind of interesting. So there you go. Well, thank you, Dudu, for that answer. And a prize will be coming out to you. And your name okay. will go in the hat for a free book. How's that? All right. Well, um, thanks for calling in and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you, bye. Um, I always I feel do. bad for Dudu when he calls in because we we sometimes have uh, we sometimes have phone issues with him calling from Algeria. So um, 
there you go. Well, good for him. I'm glad he got that right, that little prize. Excellent. Okay, how about another email or mixer question? What do you guys got for me? Gotta have something. Nothing I've about an email from Irina. Are you ready? Okay, is it Irina or Irina? Um, I would say Irina Sequerina. <laughs> Here we go. Ready? It says, many speakers of heritage Spanish are inconsistent when using the differential object marking ah with animate direct objects. Could it be due to the fact that they do not always perceive or hear the ah in the input? Um, it could be. It could be. But my guess is it's also um, just, remember, heritage speakers um, um, don't always get the same amount of input as monolingual speakers do. So if you take a heritage speaker like myself, for example, I grew up in a bilingual environment um, with Spanish and English and then became English dominant, of course, because I went to school in English. But um, so you get some of your input in Spanish and some of your input in English, whereas a monolingual kid growing up in Spanish gets all of his or her input in Spanish. So you're automatically cutting back the amount of exemplars you get, circumstances you get it in and so on. So some of these things like differential object marking, the subjunctive, some of these, these what are, what are um, the, I don't want to call them peripheral because they're not peripheral, but they're, um, what's the word? Um, well, I guess I'll call them peripheral for right now, for lack of a better term. These peripheral parts of the grammar, um, and that might also have um, the interface with other kinds of things like semantics and so on, or discourse. Those things are vulnerable to um, to not being fully acquired, and it's not because you didn't, you know, you don't have something in your system. It's because you just lack the quantity and quality of input that monolinguals get on something. So. Um, so something like differential object marking, um, it could be that they're not perceiving it in the input uh, and, and processing, uh, processing, you know, attaching any meaning to stuff. Um, or it could just be that they just don't have enough input to build the system like a monolingual speaker does. So differential object marking is hard. Uh, it's really hard because it has a lot of, it's the underlying abstract features of differential object marking are pretty considerable. Go beyond the scope of this show. <laughs> All right. Hey, I what have a question. Um, here it goes. Yes. The person okay. writes, I don't know what their name is. I can't pronounce this. These names on Mixler are just crazy. So person writes, I've always been interested in understanding how mental representation relates to input processing. I have read a couple of things regarding this, but I'm not sure if one leads to the other or if they are unrelated. Would you be able to clarify that a bit? So was the question about input or input processing? Input processing, how um, understand, understanding how mental representation relates to input processing. Um, mental representation is partly dependent on input processing because um, you need input to develop a mental representation. And then um, you need processing to take the data from the build the system. Uh, so you got to remember that mental representation is all in your head and it relies on um, notions of the way language works, the way language is organized, universals, general learning mechanisms, all kinds of things. Um, but you got to get data in there for that, for that system to work on making language. So, 
so mental representation is dependent in a certain sense on input processing. Um, and then what happens is as that system goes, because the beginning, you might be using a lot of universal strategies. There might be some L1 influence and in how you process input. We're curious out on that. So, um, so as you're processing data um, and you're growing your system, over time, that system takes over more and more <clears throat> of the checking on what's coming in from the input. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that next week when we get into parsing. That's actually part of what parsing is about. Um, so mental representation is about the language in your head and input is about the data out there in the environment that the, the representation will need to grow. So that's the relationship there. And processing, of course, is the conversion of the outside data into something usable by the internal system. How's Excellent. that for an answer, Angelica? That is fantastic. You and like I, that? I was just told that this is actually a German name, and I just wasn't able to parse it. Can you believe that? <laughs> there you. Jeez. Es tut mir leid. Mea culpa. Is es is es Levi oder Levi? Das wäre jetzt die nächste Frage. Ne? Wir werden es nie wissen. That's what well, I there say. There you have it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any more any more questions coming up? What do we got going on there, Walter? I see you looking, I'm seeing you staring at the email screen. Yeah, I just the one final question from Dick, and I think you kind of already talked about this actually, and it was just how much prepared input should a learner have before an hour of class on average over a semester? Oh, you, you can't answer that question because it just it just it depends on what your goals of the class are and you know what what's yeah, it just depends. That, that that that's 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 kind of an unanswerable question. Without again, it's very context dependent. What are you doing in class requires them to do work outside of class, and then you build the activities, and that will tell you how much time they're going to spend doing that before they come to class. So again, it depends on what you're doing in class. Maybe a private consultation for Dick would be uh, in order. Yeah. He can he can write to me or he can write to T with BVP and then we can I can see if I can correspond with him or talk to him about that. But there's those those kinds of things. What's interesting is a lot of these real world questions are very important ones for the context that we do as teaching, but they're not answerable by by experts. They're answerable only by just doing it and finding out if it works or not. So there you go. Walter, why are you smiling and dipping your head to the side like that? Are you making fun of me? No, not at all. Not in the least. I don't even know what you're referring to, but okay. Oh, okay. You look, You had that shy little look on your face with your little hand like this, tilting like you're ready to crack up at something I said, and I, I didn't say anything. <laughs> Golly, monsters all over me today, Angelica. I don't know what's wrong. I know. I, you know what I think it is? I think he just discovered that he's probably not going to be an input after all, that I've already got other people lined up. I am very, like, very sad about Darn that. it, because he was playing hard to get about being an oh, input. Oh, I see. He was, he, was hard, he was playing hard to get about being a backup singer, but now, but now I've already, I've moved on from my backup singers, Walter. I'm sorry. But it's you can be a backup backup right. singer, how's that? It's quite all right. By the way, you know why they're called backup singers, right? Because I'm always telling them on stage, backup kids, backup. <laughs> Don't get in my way. All right. I'm so really no more questions, no that. more email questions, no more mixer questions. Surprised to hear what? That you're telling them on stage to back up. <laughs> well, of course. When you're the diva, you can't have anything in front of you or That's next right. to you. 
So Darren is asking, is there a rough number of how many times a learner hears a word when they develop the mental representation? Is there such a thing like when I hear a word 50 times or a phrase, do I have it processed? Um, process, Process can happen. A process is something that happens each and every time you do it. Um, what what Darren is referring to is what we call a robust representation in your mental lexicon or your mental grammar or your linguistic system, whatever you want to call it. And there's no single answer to that question, Darren. Some, some words require, for whatever reason, hundreds and hundreds of exemplars in the input, hearing them over and over again, for them to be robustly represented. Some, not, not so many. Um, and, and it's not clear why. I don't think there's been any research done on this. Um, a learner could, for example, um, hear a word once or twice, but because of the context in which they hear it, maybe it's so emotionally charged or whatever, that when it gets processed and makes its way into the system, it's so highly charged that it, it has an extra oomph to it, um, as opposed to a word like, I don't know, a word like did that you can hear over and over and over again. You process each time, but it just it's not it's just not building a, a robust representation in your lexicon because you can't attach any meaning to it. Um, so so that's 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 you know that's not a question we can answer. Okay, I'm getting a signal here. Oh, Luca wants me to do the book drawing now. Should we do the book drawing now? Yes, let's going to do the book drawing. Okay, who's got the thing? All right, do we need a drum roll? Who's got a drum roll? Where's the drum roll? This is this is difficult. We don't have enough hands to do all these things. <laughs> this is, we're so low tech. We are so low tech on this show. Okay, so who is a our book winner? Angelica just pulled a name out of the fishbowl. The book will go to Dudu in Algeria. Wow! Yay! Dudu Isn't wins that crazy? Prize. That is. Crazy. <laughs> All right. So Dudu wins a book. Congratulations, Dudu. Good thing you called in. I'm oh, sure he's going to be very excited. Andrea, write to me secretly. So I'll send happy. you a book on the side. <laughs> Andrea, write to me on the side. I'll send you a book secretly. Don't tell anybody. Uh, All right. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to put a shout out, by the way. Now that we've done our book job, I'm going to put a shout out for something. Um, you guys ready for this? We're ready. Um, we want to remind people not to, not to forget to register um, to attend the upcoming Comprehensible Midwest Conference uh, in, on September 30th in Ripon. That's R.I. Friday. Um, is that tomorrow Friday or the coming Friday? It's not clear to me. But you need to register by Friday. Uh, and you could win a – oh, I see. If you register by tomorrow Friday – this is what it is. You can register all the way up to the conference or go to the conference. But if you register by tomorrow, you will your name will go into a hat so you can win a Skype session with guess who, Angelica? You! With me, yeah. With the diva. So they're, raff, they're raffling me off. They're raffling me off, man, at, at Ripon, Wisconsin. So um, if, you're, if your name gets drawn, we'll have a Skype session. Um, and uh, that means that we can have one-on-one -on -one talk about acquisition, language teaching, whatever. Um, Bette Midler, I don't care. You can talk about anything. Um, and so we want you to tune in next week because uh, on next Thursday show, we'll be announcing that winner. 
right? So register by tomorrow for the conference. Your name will go in a hat. If your name is drawn, then you will win a Skype session with me and Grant in the group at Comprehensible, um, uh, Midwest, uh, Comprehensible Midwest will set all of that up. If you want to find out about more details, how that works, go to ComprehensibleMidwest.com and you'll and it's spelled exactly like that, all one word, ComprehensibleMidwest.com and you can find out more about the conference. Okay. Hey, Bill, one quick clarification question. So input processing... Sure. Is it a continuous thing we do? So every time we listen to or hear a language or only when new things, new items, when we encounter those? The um, four meaning connections, input processing is about, four meaning connections about the initial time you make four meaning connections, right? After that, when you're processing input, you're making new four meaning connections for other things, but you're also starting to strengthen the ones you've already made. Got it. Um, because of frequency they have put. So, yeah, so it's a double layer process in the sense of um, initial and then strengthening those afterwards that you've already made. That makes sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for the clarification. All right. Well, thanks. We, we have to thank everybody today, by the way, for being patient with a little technical glitch at the beginning. We don't know what happened. There was just something in the system that just decided it was going to shut down our FaceTime, our Zoom, our our cable, I don't know what it was, something, I, again, I thought maybe it was a solar flare up from the equinox or the sun rays. Anyway, so let me go ahead and do our acknowledgements because we're nearing the end of our show. We always thank our technical producer, Daniel Trago, who solved the problem today and got us back online. Our media producer, Luca Giappone, the talented and trusted call handler, Dustin DeFelice, who's also the muscle man. Uh, and again, we thank our two assistant production managers, the able-bodied duo, Chad Bowsley and Ryan Stuck. We're back there behind the uh, window. The College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State University, especially our dean, Christopher Long. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any other official entity of Michigan State University, or anybody we might mention in the show. Bette Midler, the American Council on Teacher of Foreign Languages, James <laughs> Kahn, Walter, etc. And of course, we thank all you listeners out there. And again, thank you once again for putting up with our little technical glitch. I don't know what happened there. So anyway, so what's our theme for next week? Talk a little bit about parsing next awesome. week. So we're going to go in a little bit more depth about input processing and move on to this idea of how learners, if they don't have a grammar, how they actually compute sentence structure. How do they do that? Hint, they can't at the beginning. Ha ha ha. Well, that'll be interesting. Okay, so we'll be back next week. Same time, same day. Hopefully our technical difficulties will be <laughs> solved. And until then, have a great weekend. Enjoy the weather wherever you are. And happy second language acquisition to all. Say goodbye, Angelica. Say goodbye, Walter. Bis nächsten Donnerstag. Auf Wiederhören. Bis nächsten Donnerstag. Auf Wiederhören. That was actually very good. Man, impressive. Woohoo! I'll be the same to you, too. Hop up, hop up. Hey, Walter. Hey, Bill. Want a cracker? <laughs> Walter, want a cracker? <laughs> Why are you asking me, not Angelica? Come on now. I want a cracker. I'll take one. Any day. <laughs> <laughs>